0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, we are in the second weekend of our series called Illuminate, and uh, this series is all about helping uh, you and me uh, get clarity on what we actually believe about the Bible, what the biblical uh, orthodox historic faith Christian faith believes about uh, the Bible, uh, why we believe that why it 's important, and what we should do, how we should live uh, in in light of that and uh, let me uh, let me read to you uh, our our statement on our belief uh, about the Bible uh, from our dogwood faith statement, the Bible God wrote a book. we believe that the Bible is the supreme spiritual authority for what we are to believe, how we are to behave, and how we are to conduct the ministry of this church. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's written revel- revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ who is Himself the focus of divine revelation. Because this is true, we now have an objective source of what is true and what is not, of what is right and what is wrong. We have a written account of who God is, what He is like, and how we can know and enjoy Him personally. Uh, one of the most publicized attacks on the trustworthiness, the, the reliability of the, of the Bible is from a group of scholars who call their meetings... The Jesus Seminar. Now, because this group is is media savvy, you probably over the past few years from time to time, uh, either on the, on the television or on the radio or in, in news magazines, read the reports of their, uh, their meetings. These scholars meet twice a year uh, with this purpose. They meet to determine which sayings of Jesus that we have in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which sayings of Jesus are really authentic and which are not. And they present papers, they discuss biblical passages, and then they vote on how we should view the sayings of Jesus. Now, these are, are no uh, intellectual uh, lightweights. These are bright people, scholars at, from different colleges and universities and backgrounds. Uh, they vote by the use of, col- of um, colored beads. Now, here's what they mean. The red bead means this. Jesus undoubtedly said this or something very much like it. A pink bead means Jesus probably said something like this. A gray bead means Jesus did not say this, but the ideas are close to his own. A black bead means this, Jesus did not say this. These were words added to the text at a later time by someone we don't know. Now, after dropping their beads in in the voting basket for six years... The Jesus Seminar published their version of a red-letter Bible. It's called The Five Gospels. You can purchase it and, and read it. The subtitle is this, What Did Jesus Really Say? Now, here's their conclusion. I can save you the, the research. Their conclusion is that Jesus never said 82% of what you have in your Bible in red letters. He, he never said that. 82% never said it. And that it's very doubtful uh, that he said anything in the remaining 18%. So, what do you do with ideas like this from very bright people? Now, what do we do with with questions like this that you and I have, but we're just afraid to say it out loud because we're church people? I mean, how do we know? How do we know? What do we do with this? Well, as we continue in our series, Illuminate, today, about the Word of God, uh, I want you to have greater confidence in the reliability of the Bible you hold in your hand. Greater, greater trust, greater confidence in the um, integrity of the Bible. Not, not in part, but in, in whole. And uh, our goal is that you'll be better able to explain the reason for the hope you have within you, uh, the basis for your faith, that you don't just have blind faith, in the veracity of the scriptures. Uh, You have faith based on reason, faith based on evidence, and that you can explain this better to a friend who's examining these things, or maybe to a, a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad, people that you love, people that you know, people that you care about, and that God does as well. Now... Last weekend, we opened the series by looking at four classical proofs uh, for the reliability of the Scripture. Now, just a little review. We looked at the external evidence. We looked at the internal evidence. We looked at the personal evidence. And then we looked at the evidence of the words of Jesus himself, Jesus' very own view of the uh, of the Scriptures. Now, today I want to take another step toward... Uh, Dealing with a nagging question that some of us have, uh, many have, outside of the church. And here's the question. It's in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. It's this. How do we know we got the right books in the Bible? You ever wondered that? I mean, how did we get the Bible in the first place? Who put them in here? Who decided? How did we get them? How do we know we have the right books? I think that's a good question. I think that's a critical question. I think that's an important question. And uh, you and I, as, as thinking uh, followers of Jesus, uh, need to wrestle with this and find out. Well, I've got good news for you. The bottom line... Now, here's where I net out. The bottom line is, is that if God is what he claims to be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, transcendent, uh, that he gets done what he wants to get done, then, then he's certainly powerful enough to make sure that the books that he wanted included in the Bible got there. Now, so, so that's, where I, uh, that's my starting place, but there's more than that. There's more than that. There are at least three reasons that we have confidence that we have the right books in the Bible, the ones that God wanted to be here. Now, I want you to jot these down. You can hang on to this, and you can amaze and astound your friends at the Water Fountain at work tomorrow on this. Here you go. First of all, all, we have confidence because of the testimony of the Bible itself, the testimony of the Bible. Now, let me me see your eyes a second and just give you uh, uh, about three examples. First of all, Jesus himself recognized the, uh, uh, the Old Testament books that we have. He recognized them as the Scripture. Now, the, the formal term, theological term, is the canon. Uh, the, and that just means the, the list of books that God has in the Old Testament, the list of books that God has in the New Testament. Jesus believed uh, in the Old Testament uh, books as we have them. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, we may even have this. Yeah, look what he said. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Leave that one up just a second, guys. See that? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That was a common way for the rabbis of the day to summarize the three major sections of Scripture in the Old Testament. He's speaking of the Old Testament there. He recognized that this was Scripture. Um, The apostle Peter also recognized part of the New Testament. This is amazing. This is amazing. The Apostle Peter, while he was living and while the Apostle Paul was still living, Peter recognized that some of the writings of the Apostle Paul were Scripture. I mean, and it made it into Scripture in his writings. Listen to this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, he, he he's speaking of Paul, speaking of Paul here, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Anybody ever read the books of the Apostle Paul? I said, yeah, yeah. His letters uh, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Now, here's the key phrase. As they do the other Scriptures. That's amazing to me. What he's implying is these writings of Paul are Scriptures. And there's these other scriptures, that it's all scripture. Uh, he, is, he is recognizing that the letters of Paul that had just been written were already by the church and the leaders of the church uh, recognized as, as scripture. And then Paul himself, here's a, uh, more testimony of the Bible. Paul himself recognized the equal uh inspiration of the old testament and the new testament in a single verse. This is amazing to me. The Bible's amazing to me. Look at this. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 18. It's going to be on the screen as well, I think. First Timothy 5, 18. We got that one, guys? Yeah, there we go. Look at this. Paul's writing, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. You see that in quotes? See so he's got that in quotes? And then he goes on to say, and, here's some more quotes, the worker deserves uh, his wages. Now, in this verse, that first phrase, do not muzzle the ox, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament Scriptures. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. And, here's the amazing thing, the second phrase, the worker deserves his wages, you know who he's quoting there? He's quoting the Gospel of Luke. He's quoting the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter. Uh, where is it here? Luke chapter ten, verse seven. Now, here's the amazing thing about that: students of Bible history almost universally agree that the Gospel of Luke was written in the year sixty A.D. Write that down: sixty A.D. They also, almost universally, almost universally uh, agree that the book of uh, the book of uh, First Timothy was written in the year 63 A.D., just three years later, three years later. What this implies is this, that the gospel of Luke was already considered to be Scripture, holy writings sent from God merely three years after their write- they were written. This is astounding to me. This is astounding. Uh, it's the testimony of the Bible itself rec- uh, gives us great confidence that we got the right books in the Bible. But then there's another reason. Also, we have confidence because of the history of the church itself, the history of the church. Write that down, number two. Now, there, there are three reasons that books in the history of the church, that books were included in, in the collection of, of Scripture, Holy writing sent from God, Uh, first of all, was based on the authority of an apostle. The authority of an apostle. Now, the New Testament stands on the foundation of the apostles, of the apostles, the men who intimately knew Jesus. And God decided providentially to use uh, those men who were closest to Jesus to, uh, to tell the story of his life and to show us how Jesus lived. So the New Testament books... Have I, especially the Gospels, have eyewitness authority. Uh, take the writers of the Gospels, uh, for example. Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, Matthew was an apostle. The Gospel of Mark, Mark was not an apostle, but he was secretary to the Apostle Peter. He wrote down the recollections of the Apostle Peter. That's how we got the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Luke was not an apostle, but he was assistant to... The apostle Paul, and um, did his research from the apostle Paul. John, the gospel of John, John was himself uh, an apostle. And so uh, these um, books were included in the New Testament based on the authority, first of all, of an apostle. But that's not all. Second, they were uh, placed in the New Testament because of the teaching of truth. The teaching of truth. Now, let me see your eyes a second after you write that down, and let me explain what I mean. The first people to read the New Testament books, these, these writings, they, uh, they saw the light of God's truth in those writings. I mean, and the clear ring of truth in the words caused them to see these books, these 27 books, as something dramatically different, entirely different from the other religious writings of the day. They stood out, they were unique. They were not like the other writings of the day. They had the ring of truth. And so the the, the church in its history uh, recognized the Word of God by the authority of an apostle, by the ring of truth, the sense of God's uh, truth there. And then third, the confirmation of the church. The confirmation of the church. Now, many people think that the New Testament books, in fact... Uh, Many people believe that the New Testament books were chosen by a small committee of people who voted uh, on them uh, 400 years uh, after the time of Christ. That's not the case. Now, there were official historical gatherings of church leaders, they called them councils, the council at Nicaea, the council at Hippo, two different councils at uh, Carthage uh, who took action on these matters, but they did not select the books and, quote, vote them in. They merely recognized what the church universal had been using and saying for 300 years. The church had been using these books as Scripture for 300 years. Nicaea met but somewhere between 325 and 340 A.D. Uh, the council at Hippo met at 393 A.D. There were two councils at Carthage, 397 and th- uh, 419 A.D. All they did was recognize what the church already had had, uh, had, had seen and um, Uh, is that these are the books that God has given us. This is Holy Scripture. Now, the reason they did an official uh, recognition was two reasons. There were false teachers who were attempting to add books to the Bible that were not Scripture... And uh, the church was spreading, the church was growing, and there was a need to reproduce copies of the scriptures and send to the church as it expanded uh, around uh, the known world and so they, they said okay well let 's get clarity on this. It was three hundred years of use and, and many many and by the church, uh, so many people believe that that w- the only reason that these books have authority is because some council voted them in. no, 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 the opposite is true. The council voted these books in or recognized these books because they had the authority of God upon them. Got it? See the difference? See the difference? Uh, It's an amazing, amazing confirmation of the, uh, the church. So how do we know? How do we know that we got the right books here? Well, first of all, there's the testimony of the Bible. There's this amazing history of the church. And third, jot this down. Because of the power of God, I've already referenced this, because of our confidence in the power of God. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this. Take a look at it on the screen. Let's read this one together. This would be a good one to memorize. Ready? In good voice. Here we go. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Allison, who do you think about when you hear that? William Bell. Yeah. Sorry, it's a little inside thing there. I won't explain it. But uh, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our God stands forever. Now, our assurance that we have the right books is an expression of faith. Uh, There is an expression of faith there. It is not blind faith. It's based on evidence. It's based on history. But it's also faith that we have a God who is all powerful, who in the Old Testament scripture said, My word will stand forever. And if He is able, if if He is uh, that kind of God, then He would not have allowed any part of what He had chosen to stand forever to be lost. The power of God. The power of God, it's amazing. Now, guys, we have barely scratched the surface on this issue. And we can't take the time to to drill down deep. There have been entire libraries written on just this issue. But let me give you three sources that I want to encourage you to get for yourself. Go on Amazon.com, order used copies, get them cheap. And uh, read these books for yourself. You know, we're trying to teach you to feed yourself. Mature people, grown-up people, feed themselves. And we do the same spiritually. You know, you got to, if you're going to grow spiritually, you got to get to the place you can feed yourself. You're not dependent upon me. Anybody else is you and God. So uh, look on the back side of your note sheet there. I've given you three books. Get these three books. Uh, they're readable and they're, they're fascinating. The first one is by uh, Norman uh, Geisler and William Nix. It's called From God to Us, How We Got Our Bible. It was uh, published first in 1974. Great, great book. The second one is uh, this one. The Old Testament documents, are they reliable? and relevant by the magnificent uh, Old Testament scholar, Walter Kaiser. The third uh, is this one. The New Testament documents, are they reliable? By the great British Christian scholar, F.F. F. Bruce. Great, great books. Get them, read them. You can drill down a little bit further. So let's move on. There's another question here that helps uh, that you and I need to wrestle with uh, to increase our trust in the reliability of the Scriptures that we have in our hands. And it's this... We've heard you've heard Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 that says, "All Scripture is inspired by God." What do we mean when we say the Bible is inspired? What do we mean? Well, there's a great quote there by Dr. Norman uh, Geisler. Uh, Remember the uh, Christian philosopher, um, scholar, a Christian apologist and um, seminary professor? Here's what he says: "Inspiration does not mean simply." that the writer felt enthusiastic, like Handel composing the Messiah. Nor does it mean that the writings are necessarily inspiring like an uplifting poem. As a process, it refers to the writers and the writings being controlled by God. It means that the writers and the writings were controlled by God. As a product, it refers to the writings only as documents that are God's message. See the difference when we speak in the, the theological term inspiration, the biblical word inspiration, uh, God breathed as it is literally translated there in, uh, uh, in that passage in, in uh, the writings of uh, Paul to Timothy. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. So let me, let me talk about this a second. Three things. First of all, inspiration, jot this down in your notes. It means that God wrote the Bible... Through people, now we get this sometimes. You students, you get it in your classrooms, and we people look at you like you're, you know, have half a brain. And say, people wrote the Bible. Why do you believe that? Well, of course, people wrote the Bible. Of course, people wrote the Bible. But inspiration means that God wrote the Bible through people. First, uh, Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one says this: For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Men physically wrote it down, but they were moved, carried along, inspired, directed by God, the Holy Spirit. Now the details um, of how of actually how God inspired. Uh, the Bible is a matter of great debate in a lot of writings. But one thing is obvious as you read the Bible. He did not use robots. He did not somehow uh, uh, come upon people and they went into some kind of trance and he channeled through some kind of weird New Age thing. No, 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 no. no. It is obvious that he used The people he chose with the personalities and the background and the history and the language and the abilities that he wanted to produce what he wanted. You see their personalities, you see their passions, you see their own writing style uh, in the the writings of the Scripture. God created a perfect Bible through imperfect people. He did. He did. Uh, He he moved in them internally to create uh, a word that would last eternally. That's what He did. It's what He did. Second, inspiration means this, that the Holy Spirit is the author. God wrote through people. The Holy Spirit is the author. Uh, three passages of Scripture here. Take a look at them on the screen. I'm going to uh, walk through them very quickly. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. The Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. Look at this. Through the mouth of David. Acts chapter 28, verse 25. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said, oh, wow, through Isaiah the prophet. And then Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, Ezekiel says, and he told me to say, quote, this is what the Lord says. You see, that's how he did it. God spoke Through people, the Holy Spirit is the uh, author. Now, there are two important words for you and me to understand. I want you to see there and jot down in your notes. First of all is the word verbal or the phrase verbal inspiration. You see that? Verbal inspiration means this. It means that God inspired the words of the Bible, not just the ideas. Now, that's an important distinction. We believe that God inspired the very words of the Bible, not just the ideas. Second is this word, plenary. Let's get that one up, guys. Next quote. Plenary inspiration means this. God inspired all the Bible, not just part of it. God inspired all of the Bible, not just part of it. So, now let me see your eyes a second. When you hear someone say, well, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures, now you know what they mean. They believe God inspired the words, not just the ideas, and He inspired every one of them, the entire Bible. It is the Word of God. And that's where uh, we net out here. Take a look. Psalm chapter 18, verse 30 says it this way. I love it. As for God, His way is perfect. And look what it says about His Word. And the Word of the Lord is flawless. It's flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. Uh, St. Augustine, you just got to love St. Augustine. Read him when you're uh, bored at night. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, what a guy. What a guy. If you believe, Here's what he said. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. That's pretty good, wasn't it, for a guy that lived a while back? Yes, sir. Inspiration means God wrote the Bible through people. Inspiration means the Holy Spirit is the author. And third, inspiration means that God's Word is our final authority on on spiritual matters, on uh, faith and practice, belief and living. It's the the final say-so in those matters. Psalm 33 verse 4 says this, For the Word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. Now, understanding inspiration... Understanding inspiration increases uh, my confidence in the Bible I hold in my hand when you meditate on on the implications of what we've just discovered. And it also implies this. Inspiration means that I can trust, not only I can trust, but I must trust the teaching of the Word of God above my feelings, my values that I was raised with, my opinions, Americans and our opinions, my opinions and our culture. The Word of God is, a, is authoritative over those areas. That's, so that means uh, that it has dis, uh, it has power in to direct our lives. Doctor J.I. Packer, the great uh, Christian uh, scholar who wrote the classic book "Knowing God," read that book. J.I. Packer defines authority of uh, the Scripture as when you treat. His words as having decisive force in your life. Wow. Decisive force in your life. When the, the Word of God has decisive force in your life, that when you have a question, you have an opinion, an idea, uh, the culture is telling you one thing about matters of belief and matters of how you should live and think and, and be with, with people and Jesus in this world and, and it differs from the Bible, but you come to the Bible and see what the Bible says and you say, well, that's it. It has decisive force in my life. Inspiration means that the Bible has decisive force. In our lives. Whenever there's conflict between what the Bible says and the way I feel or think or reason or my opinion or what my buddies say or what the culture says, the Bible's right. And I'm wrong. And it has decisive force. And I need to adjust my thinking, living, being uh, to get in line with the teaching of God's Word. Wow. Wow. C.H. Spurgeon is one of my heroes. He was a pastor in London over hundred years ago. Genius. Take a look at what he said about this matter. And I agree with him. He said, I would recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. I agree i have no I have no respect for a, for any place to stand between those two options. I have no intellectual, no logical, no theological respect for for some silly. Let's try to figure out something in the middle thing. There is no option. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation, a faith that paddles around the edge of the waters, a poor faith at best. It's little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. Way to go, C.H. I want you to affirm the truth of God and follow it in your life. you pray with me? Let's pray. I just want to pray for us. As your pastor, I just want to pray a pastoral prayer on behalf of our entire congregation. You join me. If you can say amen, amen means that's yes, me too, God, me too. If you can just say me too, God, you can say it out loud, if you will, through this prayer. Let's affirm it. Heavenly Father, we reaffirm our faith in the Bible, your word. We want a faith that swims in the depths of your truth. Enable us to live the truth of the Bible in our lives. Help us to see where it is that your word is calling us to personal change. Give us faith to take you at your word. Help us to obey your word. Help us to read your word. Help us to study your word. Help us to memorize your word. Help us to love your word. Help us to internalize your word. Help us to abide in you and your words abide in us. Keep us from sin by your word. For your word says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lift the burdens of our hearts, God, by your word. For your word says my soul is weary with sorrow and strengthen me according to your word. Guide our steps by Your Word. For Your Word says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Bring us joy through Your Word. For Your Word says, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Lead us, God, to wisdom through Your Word. For Your Word says, The unfolding of Your words gives light, gives understanding to the simple. Lord, give us peace. Through your word. For your word says, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Yes, Lord. Bring us back to you through your word. For your word says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Now you pray to God from your own heart. Do you need to be brought back to God? Have you strayed like a sheep? Like a lost sheep? Come back to Him. Say, Lord, remember me. Seek me. I've not forgotten you. Take me back. Place your faith in in Christ. Tell Him in your own hearts. So, Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.